I have for you is a word. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Palace Cinemas podcast. I'm Alex Moyer, National Marketing Manager for Palace Cinemas, and in this episode, we are incredibly lucky to be joined by entertainment journalist Catherine Toolich to talk all things Tenant after its triumphant first week of showing around the world. With exclusive interviews with master filmmaker Christopher Nolan, as well as cast members John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, and Kenneth Branagh. So, Catherine, obviously, you and I are lucky enough to have actually seen Tenant. Uh, and you were even luckier to interview not only Chris, but you also got to interview Robert, uh, John David Washington, and Elizabeth Debicki, and Kenneth Branagh. Uh, what did you think of the film, first and foremost? Well, first of all, I just want to say how excited I was to actually go to a cinema again. Yeah. And I, I had to go and buy the popcorn because I was like going, I need the whole cinema experience. So it was this expectation for all these months of this film. And they kept it so quiet because you really didn't know what it was going to be about. It was so, like, well staged in the fact that, you know, you had no idea walking into that cinema what to expect. And from that very first scene, you know, which sort of just hits you in the face straight away, you're just really drawn into this movie. And as a spectacle on a big screen, it is phenomenal. I mean, really, really phenomenal. Uh, and, you know, it's so exciting. There's so many incredible scenes in this. But then when you start digging deeper and realising what went into this movie, this whole idea of this time inversion, and then you realise that it's not just a matter of winding the winding the camera back, uh, what went into actually constructing that, which, you know, is just incredible. Yes, uh, it is difficult to understand the story and I know there's a lot of theories out, about, out there of what he's referring to and it gets, you know, I can send your mind crazy trying to get all the resources that is in Christopher Nolan's brain of what he did to write this script. And you do walk out confused and I'm not saying maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing but, um, but it makes you think. And, I mean, I have been thinking about this film a lot since I saw it and you do feel impelled to want to see it again to kind of grasp a little bit more of of all these ideas that are in this film that's that's like a very very similar experience to what I sort of went through and that's idea of the anticipation where it actually felt quite obviously I've been going to the cinema quite a lot since we reopened but Mm -hmm. to actually be in the cinema about to watch Tenant I felt extremely surreal um and like almost is this actually happening and then we all, we we all have this anxiety of like, oh, what if it's bad? Um, and then within the first, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 seconds, like you just you just absolutely hit over the head with a kind of cinema spectacle, and like we all had this like wave of relief of, oh my god, this is amazing. And then yeah, we all walked out of it, and like I have to say, I really, I don't understand it, but I love it. And I've, I'm going to see it again. It, it is absolutely a film that demands repeated viewings and I think people will derive a lot of um, joy from that. It seems that Chris is quite adamant about people only seeing this for the first time in a cinema. Uh, we've obviously got, you know, our friends and family in Melbourne who can't at this time soon hopefully will be able to see it in cinema. But really the only way we've been able to watch it, you know, anyone, media, um, exhibitors is been mm. to watch it in a cinema. Did Chris touch on that at all? 
Well, he said that he was very much, he wants his movie seen in a cinema. So he um, he sort of said that, you know, he doesn't really want people to see his films any other way, that he wants to see see them in a cinema. But, you know, you've got to see from a, I guess, from Warner Brothers' point of view, that's a tough one because one of the cities that doesn't have cinemas open is Los Angeles. And when you consider your major probably entertainment press are based in L.A., they haven't been able to see it. So it's a very interesting choice he's made, I think, you know, that uh, I, obviously some places in the US are open, like um, states like Utah and and Texas, I think, have some uh, cinemas open. And it's interesting because Variety did a story about these fans from LA are literally getting on planes to fly into state because they want to see the movie. I mean, that's how people are desperate to see this film. To do what I do. I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not saying I'm again here. No. Something worse. A lot of expectation for this film. People are finally getting to see it now. Does that make you a little uh, nervous or are you very happy now? It's always a, a really exciting and terrifying moment when, when you put your, your film out to... Uh, to the the people it was intended for, um, and and so yeah, there's always uh, it's always a scary time for me because you've done the best job you can. You've tried to put everything you can on screen, and we've tried to give the the audience the most exciting ride possible. But uh, ultimately, uh, they'll respond how they respond. I think it sort of tells us to look at the world in a, in a new way, and talks about concepts of time. Do you feel that's in 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 some ways very timely to be watching a film like this? Well, it's 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 sort of hard to know um, what the resonances will be with a film you make. Films take years to make, and this is one I've been working on for a very long time. So, uh, how it interacts with what's going on in the world and the real world when it comes out—that's the most unpredictable unpredictable thing about uh, making a making a film over time. Uh, and so, I think I'm sure there will be uh, fascinating resonances that that I uh, I'd never foreseen, uh, and um, you know. My hope is that the audience just gets a really exciting time at the movies and really feels that that uh, they've, they've got their money's worth uh, in terms of what we've been able to put on the screen and the ride we've given them. And if there are layers to things, if there are um, interesting ideas in the film uh, in the subtext of the film and the layers of the film that, that maybe resonate after they've seen the film, well, that for me is always a, a great bonus as well. Uh, this was a huge production, you know, seven countries. I mean, just the scope of it. And because it talks about, you know, time and everything, it wasn't just about rolling back the camera. I mean, you did extraordinary things to achieve what you got on the screen. <laughs> we uh, we developed a lot of different techniques. I mean, one of the things that, that I like to do in taking on either special effects or things that are unusual in some way in, in an action scene, uh, it's great to have a lot of different approaches to how you're going to achieve it shot to shot so that it's continually... You know, you're continually changing up the trick for the audience, if you know what I mean. You're not just doing one thing. Uh, and we developed a, a large number of techniques. And, and for certain sequences, like the, the car chase, for example, we've, we had a lot of different vehicles rigged in different ways. We had a lot of different approaches that involved a complete rethink by the stunt department in terms of who had to do what, when, and, and so forth. So every morning was a, was a very intense discussion about, okay, what are we doing today and how which technique are we applying to which shot and what equipment we'll need for that and will the camera be running forwards or backwards or will the car be running forwards or backwards, all these kind of things. Um, 
I work with the, a lot of the people on the team. We have a really good team who've done a lot of big action in the past in other films. Uh, and that was important because we were taking that, you know, basic complexity of how difficult it is to do a big action scene. And then we were trying to really take it to the next level. You're a lover of cinema, and, I mean, it's the experience of seeing something in the cinema that makes it very special, doesn't it? I mean, you like that. You like people to be in a cinema seeing your movies. I make films for the, for the big screen. Uh, Tenet is no exception. I mean, we've really tried to uh, put as large-scale a set of imagery as, as we can up there. We've shot IMAX and um, uh, large-format film photography, so we've really tried to to put some images up there uh, in an incredible uh, level of detail that you can only really get from, from that format. And you know, the sound and picture and all the rest, we've really tried to uh, immerse people in the world of the, the story. You love the spy genre, but this is a very different take on it. And I think John David plays a very different kind of lead character. What did you like about, I mean, what you like about the spy genre, but the way you've interpreted it? Well, I've always loved the, the spy genre. I mean, I grew up watching the Bond films, as so many of us did, uh, and I have such fond memories of going to the cinema and seeing those large-scale, glamorous and exciting stories unfold. So we really wanted to try and capture that, uh, but we wanted to have a character at the heart of it who was very different to Bond or Jason Bourne or one of these other characters. Um, and what John David brought to the table was, and it's something we, we talked about very early on, you know, he has a tremendous charisma, first and foremost, but he also has this sort of warmth and, and generosity of spirit, this kind of empathy with this fellow man. And that was the characteristic that we felt we wanted to bring to the table with this character of the protagonist. We wanted to really look at the idea that this is a, this is a figure who's prepared to literally lay down his life for his fellow humans uh, or for an abstract ideal. And it seemed to us that that, might involve a degree of faith and a bit less cynicism than is usually portrayed in these characters. So I think what he's done in the film, at the heart of the film, and he really is the center of the film, uh, it's a little bit different than what people have seen before at the heart of one of these spy films. Time travel? No. Inversion? Name it and pull the trigger. You're not shooting the bullet, you're catching it. Personally, I can't wait to watch it again um, on the big screen. But uh, what did the what did the rest of the cast think when they were making it? Well, uh, I spoke to John David Washington, who plays the lead, and probably people may be aware that he's uh, Denzel Washington's son. And uh, you know, he's really becoming uh, an actor I love. Actually, I mean, he was in Black Klansman, and I've met him a couple of times, and he's a very charming, very great guy. Uh, was a sportsman first. I mean, he was an professional athlete before he uh, followed in his dad's footsteps of becoming now a big action star, shall we say. So I, I really thought it was a really amazing, interesting choice for Chris Nolan to pick him as the lead in this film. And I think um, as what Chris Nolan explained when I spoke to him that uh, John David had the qualities that he really wanted to see uh, in this in this kind of reinventing of a spy genre, someone that you know, would be willing to risk their life for something, you know, and also have this sort of humanity about him as well. And I think John David actually shows all that. But, you know, it was fun when I interviewed him because, you know, he's only called the protagonist in this. There's no yeah. 
<laughs> God hasn't got a name. <laughs> He's just the protagonist. And so I had to say to him, I said, well, what did you think when you read the script and you, you haven't even got a name? Do you love that there's been so much debate about what it, what it's about, what does the title mean, uh, what do you do? It's like just gone crazy, hasn't it? Well, it, it, it falls right into uh, its on brand with Christopher Nolan. I mean, this is what these discussions are always about. I think given the circumstances that we find ourselves in nowadays and, um, and uh, you know, given the, the nature of the film, it's heightened that conversation. It's become, uh, you know, abundant and, and global. But uh, I think um, overall... I personally just happy to be a part of that conversation now because I would be having this regardless I was in it or not because I love Christopher Nolan's film. So it's, it's nice to be a part of it. So you're just called the protagonist in this, and I can safely say I think that you saved the world. Uh, that's your task, mm-hmm. put simply, but it's not quite that simple. Uh, it's interesting you don't even have a name. I mean, you're just the protagonist. So mm-hmm. uh, when you saw that on the script, you were going, hmm. That's interesting. Well, it took me, or it took me first when I first saw this, when I first read the script, it took me four hours to read. Uh, so I remember like the first 10 to 15 pages, I'm like, wait, who am I playing? You know, I, I wasn't sure. Am I like, because there's a character named Protect, well, who? So who am I? Where? Uh, maybe I'm Neil. Maybe I know that's Rob. So I don't know. So it took me a while to, uh, to figure that out. But I love the, the fact that um, you don't know a lot about his background and a lot about what what he where he's from because in this particular story I think the audience and he are one to one I think what he's going through the audience is going through as well they can put themselves in in his shoes you know no matter what age you are a man or woman um it's just protagonist anybody could be the protagonist you know it's not like it's his name is you know John whatever John Doe so it's it's the protagonist so um I think it helps the audience experience or leads and lends itself to experience what he's experienced even more clear and, and more enjoyably what was the scope of it like? I mean, you were shot in seven countries. There's this whole time thing going on with this inversion where right. things are backwards, forwards, and it wasn't just a matter of rolling the film back, right? I mean, you actually had to do all these crazy stunts and, and movements. So what was that like? Um, you know, just le- like learning how to speak a new language, a new body language, and, you know, just have a whole new way of thinking and, and being. I mean, I had to. we literally had to learn how to walk, talk, blink, breathe backwards. Uh, let alone the uh, the fighting and the evading punchings and all of that. So everything we had to do, shooting a gun, what aiming is backwards, you know, catching a bullet, like all those things had to be, uh, you know, saying our lines backwards. You know, we had to uh, we had to learn all of that stuff. Yeah. Well, you even had to say your lines backwards. We had to say our lines backwards. So one of the most impressive uh, uh, pieces of work I've ever seen was Kenneth Branagh saying his lines backwards in a Russian accent. How would you like to die? Oh. But uh, you're, can we say, a pretty mean guy in this, right? I mean, you are bad as can be. <laughs> yeah, he, Christopher said to me when he when he cast me, and, and when I went for the first costume fitting, he walked me all the way back from the set, all the way to uh, the the makeup trailer, and said again and again, "Please understand, Ken, this character is unremittingly dark." Don't look for the humanity in him. I don't want you to find it. Why do you think he wanted it so dark? Because often, you know, even with those kind of characters, we do like to see a little bit of a humanity or something else. But why was it so important to have this as such a dark character? 
I, I think he, he wants the audience to get involved in, in considering this guy who's made a sort of bargain with the devil for incredible godlike power. He's sort of literally sold his soul. You might argue, based on what the film suggests, that perhaps he was forced to do it in order to survive. You might also say, no, that's where his tastes lay. That's what he wanted, all the glittering prizes. Uh, but with this you know terrifying power comes this terrifying loneliness. And with this power, this frustration, particularly in the relationship with his wife, that this powerful, strong, independent woman says no, and no is not a word that this character is used to hearing. So the rage inside is so sort of volcanic. And it meant that I think the, the, the sort of the danger of the character had Christopher ask me to sort of contain it as much as possible, not go to the flamboyant, not go to the campy, not go to the, in the way that he reinvents the spy and espionage genres as if he wanted the villain to be a different kind of thing, a, dar a darker individual who always, always, always for the threat in the movie to the planet is a danger, a real danger. Doesn't suddenly become laughable. He's just a guy you never, never want to meet. That's for sure. Uh, what is so special about a Christopher Nolan film, especially the fact that, you know, when it's something that you really do need to see in the cinema, isn't it, his movies? Well, he loves the cinema. It's as simple as that. The love for what he does comes out, and he's a master at it, and he focuses it, and you feel that his concentration on his projects, five, six, seven years to write this, a couple of years in the prep, when I watched him, total absorption in the task, total details, an artist creating in the medium that he loves. And I think the audience feel that. And he really does love the medium. That's the key. He loves watching, you know, big screen, big image cinema. He loves making it and he loves giving it to the audiences. So you get an extra dimension. Yes, he creates a page turning blockbuster, but it's got, it's something you could call it heart. You could call it soul, but maybe it's just love. He loves what he's doing. You may not agree with everything that every filmmaker, you know, chooses to do, but with Christopher Nolan, you can never doubt the integrity of the of the intention. It's reversing the flow of time. Doesn't us being here now mean it never happened. Yes, that was the other part of the film that I just couldn't wrap my head around. Obviously, it's complicated in the sense of the plot and the story and the, um, I guess, even the physics of it. But then if you think like from, you know, being a cinema lover and everything, you're thinking, you know, or how's this working in the sort of the fictional world? But then I couldn't stop thinking throughout the movie, how in the hell did they film this? I know. I know. And, of course, you know, Nolan doesn't use green screens, screens and that. It's very much you are, things happen. You want to crash a plane? But not from the air. No, it's so dramatic. Well, how big a plane? Yeah, the <laughs> night, the, 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 night the, the jet crashed into the hangar, was uh, we all, the, the entire crew gathered around and we, we watched the show. Uh, it was incredible. I didn't think they were really going to be able to pull this off. I thought they were going to either use a green screen or use some model cars in a model plane, at least for some of the shots, and uh, just place a plane inside the hangar already. But it really crashed and it really stayed in that hangar and then we shot around it after that. So it was it was an incredible experience. That part is a little dramatic. And then obviously with um, Robert Pattinson sort of, re-entering the big blockbuster since, I guess, maybe since Twilight. Um, we've seen him in films we've absolutely loved at Palace, you know, like Good Time, The Lighthouse, um, various other independent films, uh, Lost City of Z, but now he's back into the sort of mainstream uh, spectacle. I mean, did he comment on that at all or, you know, 
Yeah, because um, I asked him about sort of being in a very much big action-packed film and how he felt, and he sort of laughed by saying, yeah, a lot of movie, a lot of actors seem to do that. You know, I didn't realise I'd get drawn into doing it. Uh, but uh, And he said he didn't understand the physics at all of, of the film, but, you know, he really enjoyed being part of a Christopher Nolan project. But, you know, Rob Pattinson, I think, has done something very interesting. As you mentioned, he's done all those really independent films and very sort of small films like Lighthouse and that. And I think I think he's been very clever and he's he's gone from that Twilight thing, now he's proved that he is an actor of substance and he's returning to the big blockbuster again with Tenet and, of course, Batman coming up. So um, I really think he's going to be one of these actors that will be around for, for decades. I think he's kind of guiding his career really well. It was cool, yeah. I mean, I weirdly, considering it's, it seems to be quite a mainstay for actors to be doing lots of, like, shooting guns and stuff, I, I don't think I've really... I can't even remember the last time I've shot guns. I mean, it was kind of... It, I definitely did see the appeal like when we were doing in the rehearsing and we did this whole kind of boot camp, me and John David, where we were just in a kind of field in the middle of nowhere shooting machine guns. And it's like, oh, I can get into this. Um, but yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's kind of, it's it's got that, it's got that thing which only Chris Nolan can really do where it's, it's sort of, it's a really, really complex world. It's like, you know, a lot of it is based on real kind of theoretical physics. And at the same time, it's a sort of very appealing, just fast-paced, propulsive action movie. Um, and so it's kind of, yeah, it, it's 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 definitely a... I, I did not see this coming at all. But, um, yeah, getting the op- opportunity to do it, it's definitely kind of amazing. That wraps it up for this week. Tenet is now playing in cinemas around the country, but we can't wait to bring it to audiences in Melbourne, especially in 70mm at the Astor Theatre. Join us next time as we look at the resurgence of retrospective cinema since the COVID pandemic, as well as dive into our new National Palace Encore retro season, curated by Zach Hepburn of the Astor Theatre. 